All right, I want to talk about the Uvalde shooting. There's some new information that has come to light um, very recently. The director of the Texas Department of Public Safety, his name is Colonel Steve McCraw, he testified in Texas about what actually happened on that day. And it's really interesting because right off the bat in the wake of this shooting at Robb Elementary School, there were those of us, it, it was a select few conservatives who said, wait a second, there, there's questions that should be asked about the police response to this because it was nearly an hour after the first call was made, the first 911 call was made when the shooter showed up at the school before the shooter was shot by the Border Patrol tactical team. What happened in the space of that hour? And there was sort of a divide among Republicans, among conservative commentators even, but even elected officials too, um, about those questions that were asked, because some conservatives are very prone to defending the police. We're very used to defending, to backing the blue for, uh, against accusations from the left that police are systemically racist or white supremacist, uh, you know, the defund the police folks. Um, at the same time, there, there were signs that something went very, very wrong in this response to this shooting on that day. And we are now finding out information that confirms that, yes, there, there were many things that went very, very wrong. And this can't be just an objective analysis, right? Because I think that this mass shooting, this massacre of these children at this elementary school, these tiny children hit us all a little bit differently than even a lot of the other crime stories that we've become so accustomed to listening to in our nation. The idea that these 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 little kids were just sitting ducks, that their calls to 911 went unanswered, that they just sat there and experienced this and then were killed. It's just horrendous when we count on police officers um, to respond. So Colonel Steve McCraw, actually, he, he testified, like I said, he's the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety. He testified and said that there actually were police officers that were inside the elementary school with rifles and ballistic shields, meaning they were fully equipped. They had the armor necessary to breach that door into those two classrooms where the shooter, they were, they were adjoining classrooms, where the shooter was killing children, and they were equipped to do that, and yet they didn't for 58 minutes. They they were inside the school with this with this armor and they didn't do it for 58 minutes. In fact, we we have seen the first photograph from inside the school that shows police officers in in the hallways. It shows a police officer with a with a rifle. It shows another police officer with a ballistic shield and this photograph as you can see, that's the police officer on the left with the rifle on the right. Uh, the police officer has a ballistic shield. This photograph was taken at 11:52 a.m. Again, 58 minutes before that classroom was breached. And I don't know about you, but to see this with my own eyes, to see the tangible evidence that this happened is, it's, well, it's heartbreaking, but it's also, it's also infuriating because it's, it's difficult enough to process this kind of tragedy, but to think that this kind of tragedy could have been prevented by decisions that were incorrectly made on the ground is something that we should simply not tolerate. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about how, how this happened. I want to talk about how, and in, in, in zoom out a little bit on our whole country, on our, on our culture, on the environment uh, of the school, our politics, how exactly could this happen where police were there and yet they chose not to respond, where the incident commander told these police officers to stand down, where these children were left to be killed. What, why didn't they go in? What led to this? And how can we prevent this from happening? again and of course then what would have what what result would have been different would these children's lives have been saved had they gone in let's talk about that today i'm liz wheeler this is the liz wheeler show
All right, now I like GenuCell because it works. How old does your mirror say that you are? Ladies and gentlemen, you can actually delay asking yourself this question for 10, even 15 years with the new Ultra Retinol Serum from GenuCell. I often have one next to me, by the way, but I think I poached it to use it. So you'll have to use your imagination. (laughs) Marina from Fort Lauderdale, Florida loved this product so much. Let me read to you what she wrote to us. She said, great product. My skin loves it. I've spent more money on creams over the years enough to pay off my house. Just kidding, she writes, but it feels like that. This product has changed my life like no other. Now, Marina is flying high with GenuCell's new Ultra Retinol Serum with Hyaluronic Acid. This technological wonder hydrates your skin at a cellular level and builds on this deep moisture with the incredible anti-wrinkle effects of phytoretinol. Go If you go to GenuCell.com right now, then you can get up to 50% off the brand new Ultra Retinol Serum. You're gonna be amazed with the results or your money back. You'll also get GenuCell's immediate effects for results in 12 hours or less. It's free with your order if you use my URL, genucel.com slash Liz. It's spelled G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Liz. Free express shipping, free returns, exquisite customer service, genucel.com slash Liz. Okay, before we get into before we get into talking about the timeline of Uvalde and what caused this, what we can learn from it, did you guys see this weekend, Jennifer Lopez, you know, international superstar singer, brought her daughter Emmy on stage with her to sing and introduced her daughter Emmy with transgender pronouns. She kept calling her daughter they. You know, the last time they were on stage with me, Jennifer Lopez said. And what I found particularly striking about this is two years ago in 2020, Jennifer Lopez had her daughter Emmy on stage with her. And look at the, look at this little girl. She looks like a little girl, right? I mean, she she has a bun in her hair. She's wearing a white outfit. She, I mean, she looks like she's on stage performing a little girl. Fast forward two years and look at what the child looks like now in this weird oversized Justin Bieber-esque pink outfit um, and a, a trucker hat. I mean, kind of manly, right? Kind of, kind of, kind of transy, if you will. And Jennifer Lopez is essentially introducing her daughter Emmy to the world as they, them. Um, suggesting that perhaps this child is transgender, perhaps this child is not on the quote-unquote gender binary here. And the the left is reacting to this, as you would expect. The left is like, oh, what a supportive mother, what a wonderful person, ignoring what you and I talked about last week on our special episode that we live-streamed, special episode of this show that we live-streamed on Locals, the actual statistical scientific studies that show that children who are transitioned, whether it's just gender, just puberty blocking hormones or cross-sex hormones are actually uh, increased their risk of suicide by 14%. So I, I pray to God that Jennifer Lopez's child is just going through a weird phase and isn't actually transgender, isn't actually transitioning. But man, look at the difference between two years ago, what Emmy looked like, and now Elon Musk. Did you guys know that Elon Musk also has a transgender child? I confess I had no idea. I don't I don't typically look into, um, I don't know, the lifestyle and history of people's kids when their kids are minor because I just don't care. I care more about what Elon Musk is doing uh, for Twitter and what he's doing for Tesla and all of that. But apparently he has a son named Xavier Musk who is 18. And the reason that Xavier Musk is now in, in the news is because this, well, when I say child, I suppose 18-year-old is a legal adult, but this young adult has filed in a court in Los Angeles to change his last name and to change his gender. He wants to be identified by the court as a female, and he wants to change his name to Vivian Wilson. Now, Elon Musk was formerly married. He was married to a woman named Justine Wilson, so I guess Xavier Musk wants to take the last name of his mother. 
Um, and Vivian's a beautiful name, but not for a boy. So um, he, he wants to change his name. And this is why he, he you obviously have to write a, a reason on, on your form. And he said, quote, gender identity and the fact that I no longer live with or wish to be related to my biological father in any way, shape or form. So that's pretty sad that clearly they have some kind of broken relationship here. Um, I wonder, I wonder if it's because it's because Elon Musk has, has spoken out against queer theory. He's spoken out about this transgender craze. He actually tweeted in response, um, to the, what is a woman documentary, Matt Walsh's documentary. This is what Elon Musk tweeted. He said, we are simultaneously being told that gender differences do not exist and that genders are so profoundly different that irreversible surgery is the only option. Perhaps someone wiser than me can explain this dichotomy. Um, well, it doesn't sound to me like you need someone wiser than him to explain this dichotomy. It sounds like he exposed the fallacy of the radical gender ideology here. But maybe maybe this is um, maybe this is the problem between he and his son here. It's very sad to me to see these young people who are being suckered in by by the transgender ideology. But the the interesting thing to note here, I think, is the cultural aspect of this. What's the common denominator whenever we see a celebrity or a public figure or anybody really? Whose, whose child goes from what seems to be normal to saying that they're transgender. It's not necessarily just that they've been diagnosed with gender dysphoria because these, these children are changing their identity as young teenagers, which is not typically when gender dysphoria is onset. That usually happens a lot earlier in life. The common denominator, my friends, is broken families. The common denominator is divorce. The common denominator is the desecration of this nuclear family unit. Think about Jennifer Lopez, the father of her children, Mark Anthony. She was married to him. Now she's not. She's been engaged about a billion times, broken up, lived with these different partners and then not lived with them anymore. I mean, she's, she's the epitome of uh, a broken family. She just happens to be very rich. Same with Elon Musk. Elon Musk was married to the mother of, of, of Xavier for eight years from 2000 until 2008. They had six children together, but he's not married to her anymore. He, he then went on to date the singer Grimes. He had a couple more children with her. Reportedly, they're not together anymore. This is a broken family. Broken family. I, I cannot stress enough how if Republicans and conservatives actually want to solve a lot of these cultural issues in our country, we it, it's fine to focus on it from a legislative level. Like, sure, we should ban bars, 21 and older bars that serve alcohol. We should prohibit them from allowing children to go uh, to enter the premises. We should not allow these premises to hold drag shows for children that are marketed to children. We shouldn't allow children to go to that kind of sexually explicit show in an establishment. The same as we don't let children in casinos, the same as we don't let children in bars. Um, that's all good and well. We should do that. But those are all band-aid solutions on our cultural ills that will never truly be solved until we focus on a cultural reformation that focuses on the family unit, that focuses on a married mom and dad raising their kids. And if we, if, if conservatives and Republicans focus on that, a cultural reformation that is supported by governmental policies, a lot of these social ills would cease to exist the way the way that they are, the way that they dominate our culture right now, where celebrities and billionaires and you know maybe the people the people that live on your on your street or go to your kid's school or you know at the local drag bar are suffering from. We would we would go a long way into solving these things if we focused not just legislatively but culturally on on an individual level. So Biden is trying to solve a problem that is impacting all of us. But of course, he is also going about this the wrong way. Gas taxes is what uh, is what he's telling us is going to be the solution, the temporary solution to 
well, how expensive it is for us to fill up our gas tank. I'm going to keep whining about how expensive it is until it's fixed. Uh, I, I said it a couple days ago, and I'm about ready to have to fill up my gas tank again, but it cost me 70 bucks for 14 gallons of gas. And I was like, a year ago, it was half of this. It was half the price. And, you know, I have to... I have to fill it up on a weekly basis. So that's 70 bucks a week. And that's for 14 gallons of gas. Well, Biden says that he is going to solve this, but really his solution is a non-solution. It's just a Band-Aid that, that's kind of like throwing breadcrumbs at us and saying, oh, here's your dinner. It doesn't really solve it. And I'm not even sure that he has a legal right to, or the legal authority to do what he's promising to do. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's noticed. It's not just gas here. Everything is getting expensive. We are in the biggest economic crisis since 2008 with a government that's printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Consumer prices are the highest we have seen in 30 years. Inflation is certainly here to stay. And if the government continues its out-of-control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. So how do you protect your money, your retirement, and your savings? Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market into a precious metals IRA. And they make it easy. They are the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them right now. Call 855-768-1883. That's the phone number to call, 855-768-1883. Or if you're like me and you prefer text messaging, the you can text my name, Liz, L-I-Z, to 65532. Again, the phone number is 855-768-1883. Or if you prefer text messaging, you can text Liz to 65532. It's the smart thing to do. And the reason it's the smart thing to do is because who's in the Oval Office right now and how his economic policy and political choices are impacting your wallet and mine. Again, 855-768-1883 or text Liz, L-I-Z, to 65532. Okay, so Biden is kind of acknowledging what we're suffering at the gas pump right now, but he's not actually willing to do anything that would fix it, like we talked about yesterday. What he's offering us instead is um, a Band-Aid fix. He's offering, he's offering uh, somewhat of a rebate to us. Uh, Mr. President, are you considering a pause on the federal gas tax? Mr. President, we know that you're considering it, and Secretary Gelling spoke about it yesterday. Yes, I'm considering it. How soon can we expect a decision? Well, I hope I have a decision based on that I'm looking for by, uh, by the end of the week. Okay, so first of all, First of all, maybe someone who is more schooled in tax law than I am can answer this question. Does Biden as the chief executive, the president of the United States, does he actually have the power to do this? Can he just unilaterally suspend a tax? Because it, it seems to me that this would require an act of Congress, would it not? This is a legislative role. Congress has, has the power to levy taxes. The chief executive doesn't have the power to just hand down a tax. And if he doesn't have the power to hand it down, how does he have the power to just rescind this? Again, if there's any tax attorneys who are listening, I'd uh, be very interested in your take on this because if Biden actually has the power to do this, then let's have this conversation and let's talk about what other kind of taxes can be suspended too. Can we suspend all the taxes? Just maybe for a year, none of us pay any taxes and we just see if all of the money that the government takes for us is actually necessary for our lives and to run the government because I suspect 
that the government would be just fine without our tax money. And yet we would be a lot better off if we got to actually keep the money that that we earned. So um, does Biden have the power to do this? I don't know. It's going to be like 18 cents that you would save on the gallon. But it's that's nothing compared to how much the gas prices have increased overall. They're twice as expensive now as they were a year ago. So 18 cents is just I don't know. It feels like he's throwing us breadcrumbs. It feels like he's saying, oh, here's some here's some pennies, here's some nickels for you to keep you quiet for a little while so you don't notice the fact that I'm not doing what I actually should be doing to, to address inflation, that I'm going to keep spending and I'm going to refuse to drill and uh, um, I'm going to keep pushing green energy and, and secretly laugh behind my hand because this is the way to transition us into a quote-unquote green economy away from those evil fossil fuels. Um, I don't really want this rebate. I don't really want Biden to do this, but I, I, if he can, I'd rather him just, you know, abolish all the taxes, abolish all the taxes. Okay, so let, let's talk about Uvalde now. So disturbing information that, um, that when I say come to light, it's really because uh, uh, Colonel Steve McCraw, the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety, testified in, it, it, was, a, it was a hearing in front of the uh, Texas uh, Senate committee. And some of the things he said are just, it's hard to believe that this was actually the case. It's hard to believe that it was botched up this badly. And and the backdrop to this, of course, is our political environment because law enforcement is run by politics, right? You can either have you can either have um, city governments, county governments, maybe state governments that support the police and that train them properly, or you have them. You have city, state, and 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 governments that don't support the police properly if they're maybe in a blue state versus a red state. Now, the interesting part of this, of course, is that it's Texas, and Texas is a Republican state and has historically um, been supportive of law enforcement. We we talked about about a week and a half ago. We talked about how the the training manual of the Uvalde cops specifically, not just law enforcement in general, but these cops called for. Um, called for in situations like this when there's a school shooting for even one cop, if just one cop it, uh, addresses this, answers this call, they're supposed to go and try to neutralize the shooter, even if it means that that cop loses their life. That that what we learned, what law enforcement learned after Columbine is that these aren't hostage situations anymore. This isn't a matter of someone having suicidal ideation, that this is a mass shooting where the, the agenda of the shooters oftentimes to kill as many people as possible. And so it is imperative that law enforcement end this person, neutralize the shooter as quickly as possible in order to save lives. This is, and these Uvalde cops knew this. The Uvalde cops had specifically been trained on the protocol of how to enter a school. And in this training protocol, the Uvalde cops were actually told, if you're not comfortable with the idea of being the first cop on the scene and going in and possibly losing your life, trying to stop this shooter, distracting the shooter so that the shooter doesn't kill children, then law enforcement might not be the career for you. That was in the training brief of the Uvalde cops. So this is sort of the political background that we're dealing with right now. The left telling us that they they want police reform, but not actually looking at what needs to be reformed about police. The left telling us that they want to stop the school to prison pipeline, but um, not actually showing us how that's done. They just want us to be soft on 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 people who commit, I guess, lesser crimes, misdemeanors, if they do so while they're in school, while they're minors. The left, of course, tells us that they want gun control, but they won't focus on the aspects of our political culture as it impacts law enforcement when those aspects could actually save lives in situations like this where there's a mass shooting at a school. So fast forward a little bit to, to Colonel Steve McCraw. He's testifying in front of the Texas, or he's the Texas Department of Public Safety director. He's testifying to the Texas Senate. And he says that 
within just moments of this shooter entering the school, he could have and should have been killed by police. That the law enforcement response to the attack at Robb Elementary was an abject failure and antithetical to everything we've learned over the last two decades since the Columbine massacre. Three minutes after the subject entered the West Building, there was sufficient number of armed officers wearing body armor to isolate, distract, and neutralize the subject. The only thing stopping a hallway of dedicated officers from entering room 111 and 112 was the on-scene commander, who decided to place the lives of officers before the lives of children. So what's, what's interesting, again, Look at the political background here, because I'm, I, 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 I know it. some people say that it's, it's distasteful to take a tragedy and immediately try to pull political elements because people exploit, right? Politicians or politicos, political pundits exploit tragedies and try to attach the emotion of tragedies to their own political agenda. And th that's wrong to do that if you're doing it just for emotional exploitation. But it, it's often true that tragedies are the result, that they happened because of some political policy. If not directly, then indirectly. In this case, this could have been prevented um, had we actually had hardened schools. Had we learned the lesson of school shootings in the past 10 years, we could have prevented this from happening. If we had single point entry, if we had um, the only people that were allowed on campus were known people, if we had armed guards on the campus and not just awaiting a call, if we had armed teachers, locked doors, all of these different things, if we had actually focused on hardening schools, then which... I guess is a political issue because the left is so against it because they just want to exploit your emotion on, on these type of tragedies to push gun control. But oftentimes these tragedies do have a political element and it's imperative that we don't fall for the, the accusation from the other side that we are exploiting a tragedy just for political points. That we say, okay, this is what happened. This is what we could do to prevent it. And this is the political hurdle that stands in the way of accomplishing what could have been done to prevent this. Um, so the, the left right now is trying to make this political in two ways. They're trying to blame Governor Abbott. They're calling this a cover-up. I have seen no evidence that there's been a cover-up from Abbott. If, if Abbott staged a cover-up, I'll sit here and call him out. I don't care what parties he's in. I'm not, I'm not loyal to a party in that sense. I'm loyal to the children that need our protection. But the left will not look at what actually happened because it gets in the way of their gun control agenda. And, and Congressman Eric Swalwell is a perfect example of this. This is what he tweeted. He said, warning, police accountability at Uvalde is important, but it is not an alibi for inaction on gun safety. We're a country of unrestricted weaponry. Unless that changes more, kids will be killed, period. So what is he saying? He's saying, sure, Let's talk about police briefly, but the real problem, the real problem is that you haven't passed my gun control agenda. We haven't banned AR-15s and allowed the government to confiscate your guns and ultimately revoke your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. That's what Eric Swalwell is saying. And that is the political backdrop which, with which we look at this. That's, that's what we're dealing with. That's the reason why we haven't actually hardened schools because the left is unwilling, unwilling to do so. What happened at, at, at Robb Elementary School with police is beyond words. It's it's unspeakable that police or that the, the commander, Pete Arredondo, would tell police officers not to go in when they were there. And McGraw was rightly 
harsh, measured, but very harsh against Pete Arredondo for the decision not to allow cops to enter that room, particularly when we had heard original reporting that the door of the classroom where the shooter was was locked and that the police couldn't get in, that they were waiting for a key to the door, which didn't make sense even to begin with because you can break down a door. But we find out now that no one even tried to open the door and the door was actually unlocked, but police didn't know that because they didn't even touch the handle. They didn't even try to breach that door. That showed room 11 and 12. There's many references by Chief Arredondo uh, about the door being locked and needing keys and more keys and a master key and just constant references to keys. But is there any evidence whatsoever that shows through the video uh, as it was examined later that the door was ever, that there was an attempt to open the door or test whether or not it was locked? We could never see anybody put their hand on the door and of course up until, up until the breach. And then at the last, at the breach, we've gone back and talked to the breachers, re-interviewed the breachers, and they said, no, they didn't try the door handle beforehand. And remember, this is what we heard on CNN within just days of the shooting, where a law enforcement officer defended this, this, this incident commander, Pete Arredondo, he's the Uvalde School District Police Chief, for telling officers to stand down. And the reason that this law enforcement officer gave on CNN was that if police officers went in there, understand that they could have been harmed or killed. And I, I, it was mind-blowing to everyone in the country who watched this because that's, that's literally a risk that you have to be willing to take if you, are a, if you are a police officer. I'm not saying that that's a risk that everyone is willing to take, but if it's not a risk you're willing to take, then you shouldn't be a police officer. That, that, I mean, that should be a no-brainer. This should be very obvious. And this was the choice. This was the choice that Steve McGraw, Colonel Steve McGraw, said that um, Pete Arredondo made, and it cost the lives of these children. I mean, it's... It, it's hard, again, it's hard to process that as these children were making 911 calls, these cops, these cops were outside of the classroom with ballistic shields, with rifles, and that they were supposedly waiting on a key to a classroom door that they hadn't checked. It was unlocked. They could have opened it and gone in there. If I'm the parents of these children, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine the grief that they're going through. And I pray for the grace of God that they, that they have some healing and some respite from the agony that they must be suffering. But I don't know how I would handle this politically because it is, it is beyond human comprehension that this could have been stopped in the moment. This could have this could have turned out differently, and it didn't because of the police response. Because of someone saying no, don't go in there because you you might be killed. Now I like neutral because it's natural and it works. Win win. We all know that half of the people who are watching my show are balding men. You know who you are. There's no shame to this. But there is a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without drugs or prescriptions. It's called Nutrafol. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. It's made of 21 potent natural ingredients that support sex drive, better sleep, and less stress too. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. You too can grow thicker, healthier hair, and you can support our show, who doesn't love to do both, by going to Nutrafol.com and entering my promo code, Liz, to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to US customers for a limited time. Plus, 
you get free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. It's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com if you use my promo code Liz. Nutrafol.com promo code Liz. You'll be glad you did. Dave Rubin uses this, and I think we've all seen his hair. It certainly works. Nutrafol.com promo code Liz. Okay, so we have this new information, this disturbing information that there were ballistic shields that were there. There were the police that were there. The door was unlocked. They didn't even try the door. This is all very damning information. Was there a cover-up from Greg Abbott? There's no evidence of that. That seems the Democrats trying to t- trying to politic it. Um, we, we know the Democrats are not above politicking. We see Eric Swalwell saying, sure, let's, let's have accountability, whatever that might mean, but let's not, let's not focus off of my agenda of taking away your guns here. But if we zoom out here, If we zoom out here and look at the political backdrop, we can see why exactly this was, this this situation happened. Why the environment at this school was as soft and vulnerable to this killer as it was. We can even see why culturally and from a resource standpoint and a training standpoint, why police officers didn't respond in, in a moment of life and death as they should have. Um, and, and, the, and it goes, it, part of this is the police reform that Democrats are always talking about. They're talking about wanting reform at police, at police forces across the country. They're talking about wanting to retrain law enforcement officers. And yet, what do they, what do they spend their resources doing? How, how do they retrain police officers? In diversity and inclusion and equity and all of these neo-Marxist ideas that the radical left at the political level has embraced. They want police officers to feel that they are a relic of white supremacy, if not active members of, of a white supremacist institution, our criminal justice system. This is what they're focusing on. Instead of focusing on, okay, what are the threats that we face here in the United States? What, what, what are the dangers that could harm not just children, but, but all citizens of the United States? And how, how are law enforcement best equipped to handle this, to protect innocent lives, and to neutralize as quickly as possible threats against us, while also respecting our rule of law? There's one party that focuses on, on, on the latter, or on the former, which is, which is all of the neo-Marxist stuff. And there's another party that focuses on, on making law enforcement most effective. Yet when you hear the left talk about police reform, they're not talking about training that would, that would equip police officers to save children. If you think about Uvalde through this political prism, it's shocking. It's, 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 enabled, the situation was enabled partially because of the defund the police movement, because of this animosity that the left has towards law enforcement officers and their unwillingness to look at the actual training modules that law enforcement undergo and how they would be best equipped to handle situations like this. Instead, police officers suffer from the Ferguson effect when they are when they are interacting with, with black people in the course of their normal, their normal police duties. They are um, they're ill-equipped, sometimes resource-wise, to, to handle situations because money has been taken away from, from departments, not necessarily in Uvalde, but in, in, in a larger sense in general. And in situations like this, how much time do you think was spent on training, training for this scenario, and making sure that officers understood their duty and were willing to lay down their lives should this occur? And the larger scheme of how law enforcement has been demonized, how they have been treated in the last decade in our country, there has been more headlines, more discussions on cable news, more political debates on the woke part of law enforcement than on moments 
that law enforcement, that we rely on law enforcement for life and death. And when you neglect to focus on these moments, then this is what happens. You get neglect. You get just mind-blowing stupidity. You get decisions, bad decisions, failures that result in children not being saved from a killer that has, that has breached their classroom, where the door is unlocked. Something that I just is repeating over and over in my mind. The door was unlocked. Open the door. And this is the political, this is the political backdrop. I mean, the left tells us that they want, that they want gun control, but what would have actually stopped this, this shooter? Would he have been stopped had he not been allowed to purchase an AR-15? Probably not. The majority of crimes are committed with guns that are illegally owned, meaning they're stolen or bought off the black market. Just because he was able to get a gun legally doesn't mean that had he not been able to get a gun legally, that he wouldn't have obtained one illegally. But what would have stopped this is if the school was hardened, if we had focused on the family, if we had, if we had actually reacted as a, as a community, his, his nuclear family and then the larger community, when he was displaying all these red signs, red flags, this, this bag of dead cats, this plastic bag of dead cats that he was carrying around, the self-harm, the violence against other people, the aggression, the, the death threats, the threats of sexual assault that he levied against women online and on, on apps, on his phone. If we had responded to these things and the school had been hardened, he wouldn't have been able to commit this, regardless of how he acquired the gun or not. And so the political backdrop of this is, yeah, we need police accountability for sure. This is, this is something that, I mean, it's a national shame. It's, it's going to haunt not only our country, but specifically haunt the families of these children forever, that this didn't have to happen. And we, as a political body, should ensure that this never happens again. But we should also make sure that the political backdrop isn't a hurdle in hardening schools and protecting our society against the evil of killers like this um, by, by, by trying to harden the nuclear family as well. And if those things happen, then we don't have to put our reliance on police that sometimes fail us. Because they've proved, I, I, I mean this with no disrespect, to all of the law enforcement officers in our country who serve and sacrifice with tremendous bravery and courage, but I haven't heard one of them, one of those police officers who are coming to the defense of what happened in Uvalde. And I know that I don't want, I don't want my children in the hands of a police force like that or in the hands of someone else. I want my family to be strong and then I want my community to be strong and the school to be hardened so that it's not ever an option to rely on people who might make a call for police officers not to respond that led to a child not being saved, a child being murdered because no one responded to their 911 call. Over on Locals, we're going to talk about a study that we can't talk about here because it has to do with the COVID vaccine and the impact on sperm. It's actually really, really interesting and ironic. And please join us over there, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. If you use my promo code access and you can watch it for free, your first month for your annual subscription is free. lizwheelershow.com slash locals, promo code access. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of Photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figueroa. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler.
Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.